welcome to church. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, if you are in matric, if you've just started matric and you're in the building or you're listening on the pod, um, everyone present, we all met and had a conversation and we think you've got this. Uh, you, you'll do fine. Uh, if you're starting a new job this year, uh, good luck. If you are in the same dead-end job and were passed over for, for promotion, um, then what we learned last week uh, and the week before as we looked at Paul's amazing preach to the Athenians is that God says he has determined the boundaries and places within which you will live, that every part of your circumstance was orchestrated so that it would cause you to reach out and find him and discover that he is not far from you. So whatever you're in this year, the same dead-end marriage, the same dead-end stupid parents who don't understand you, the same dead-end whatever you define as your excuse for being bleak is in fact a perfect opportunity for you to find God um, and, uh, and realize that he's actually very close to you and that you're able to lean on him. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the welcome. Hooray. And I'm, everyone's busy wondering if they're in a dead-end marriage. None of you are. Don't worry. You'll be fine. Um, I, as a pastor, have an opportunity to end up in, I suppose, being the sort of photo bomber at strange moments that normally people wouldn't be at. You know, like the weird extra dude who's at your wedding or at your funeral uh, or at the, you know, your child's early moments and, and dedications and stuff. It's a great privilege to be in these moments with people, which would normally be pretty intimate moments. And, and uh, you know, cop the extra invite. Uh, and, and that's a great, that, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a few stories of, of some of those moments I found myself in in a moment. But one uh, that's not directly related to the sermon, but I just wanted to share with you. Uh, on Friday, I was at a funeral, uh, doing a funeral. Um, and, and there are yeah, more funerals in my life, I suppose, than in most people's lives because of that photobombing principle. Uh, and it was a glorious thing to be at. It was an absolute privilege to be there. Uh, there's a couple in our church called Wes and Meg van Eden. If you're not sure of who they are, uh, Wes often turns up in a little floppy Peaky Blinders cap. And, um, and he is a designer and artist who works under the name Rizzo Borg and is literally making Durban more beautiful. He's done murals in the center of town and all over the show uh, that connect people to hope and to each other, and he's a glorious human being. Both of them are. Uh, and he, he lost his dad in the last week or so. And culture says you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead. The Bible says speak the truth in love. So let's just be honest, his dad was a shocker. He was a, a tough dude. Uh, and, and I felt so much sympathy for Wes, because his buddy was, was just... He was just a hard geezer who, who was stressed about money and suspicious and whatever. Uh, and it was really difficult towards the end. And Wes was trying to honor his dad and trying to love on him and getting kind of barbs and darts thrown back in his direction until a month before his death. Uh, and I just found this the most beautiful story. So people had been trying to speak to him about God for ages and offered to pray for him and so on. And he rated himself as a sort of amateur philosopher and would kick them out the room with a flea in their ear and all these reasons why they, didn't, they shouldn't bring all that namby-pamby uh, sort of fantasy stuff to him. Um, until a month before his death, someone somehow got through to him, shared the gospel with him that he has a father in heaven who loves him and there is a way for him to be made right with that father and be forgiven of everything that he's messed up in his life. And the penny dropped and all his rationalizations evaporated uh, and he gave himself to what I suppose in his heart of hearts he'd been resisting for ages. Was, was saved, came home, became a Christian. But that's not just the end of the story because... The skeptics, maybe none of you are like this, maybe it's just me, but there's a part of me like, yeah, you're just cramming for finals, like, you know, you're just putting a kind of, uh, you know, eternal insurance policy in place at the last minute, like, how genuine, really. Um, But apparently, this man, Keith Van Eden, 
His person, he was unrecognizable. His personality changed totally. Wes was telling me, and I was so glad for him, how his dad got his sons together and told them for the first time ever that he loved them, was proud of them, apologized for the way he treated them all his life, was asking all the nurses at this amazing palliative care place where he was uh, to pray for him every time they were with him, and was healed from the inside out. Uh, which gives us such amazing confidence to know um, what his eternity looks like. And just reminds us, once again, if we needed reminding, God can change human hearts. It's what he does. He will make you a better person than you are. He will improve the quality of your life. Being around you will be nicer once you've allowed him to get in touch with you and start to sort out your stuff that's going on inside. And I was just so grateful to be part of that story and thought I'd, I'd love to share that with you um, because Wes was just so impressed by what God had been able to do uh, and to bless his whole family as a result. That's a happy photobomb moment. But I've also just, right now, currently, I'm involved in three different relational things that are causing me to have a conversation I am sick to death of having. And I say this with no pride because I've had to be on the receiving end of the same conversation and will no doubt need to be on the receiving end of the same conversation. And I'm pretty sure we're going to be having this conversation until Jesus comes back, but I am absolutely done. I'll explain what it is in a moment, but let me just give you the circumstances. In one case, it's a romantic relationship that's fallen apart because of shame causing someone to hide and not be honest about who they are. In another case, it's a romantic relationship that's still going strong, but has gotten totally unhealthy, and they've ended up failing and doing dumb things because, once again, of this same rooted insecurity thing. And in another circumstance, it's someone whose friendship circle just consistently is filled with judgment and guilt and vibes, and they can never really connect, and they're finding themselves quite isolated, even though everything in them wants to be connected. And the issue underneath all of this is worthiness. It's a, it's a doubting of your own worth. That might sound like a strange way to diagnose it. So let me just build up to this idea. I'm not sure how many of you know, maybe many of you have come across the concept, that people who, are, who seem proud and arrogant are never acting proud and arrogant because they think they're better than you. They're always acting that way because they think they're worse than you. If you haven't worked that out, this is going to suddenly unlock so much relational mystery. People don't act better than you because they think they're better than you. They act better than you because they're pretty sure they're worse than you, which is why they need to overcompensate and make such an effort. People don't behave in selfish, controlling ways because they don't trust that you will do right by them. They behave in selfish, controlling ways because they don't think they deserve for you to do right by them. And therefore, you need to be forced to do the things they need you to do. People don't disconnect and hide and seem aloof and, and remain invulnerable to communities because they think that sharing with one another is beneath them. They do that because they rate themselves lower than the people in that community and don't think they have the right to share who they really are and just expect to be treated well. It's just a thing. It's how we work. And if you were to give some time to it and really engage with the way you operate, you would know that this is how we are. We control, we reward and punish with you know, emotional abuse, we judge, we're skeptical of people so we hide, we blame, we keep secrets, and we've been doing this since the beginning. Adam was the first one, famously, hid, covered up, blamed, when he was the one who was pretty sure he'd messed up. 
And if you're not sure that you know of someone like this, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, you are the one who's doing this. Uh, You will flick from one role to the other. And it's a dreadful self-fulfilling prophecy because the very thing you're longing for is connection to other human beings. And yet because you, like me, doubt sometimes whether we really deserve that, whether if they really knew who I was, they could be trusted to still treat me well, we end up sneaking into those relationships just a little bit of control or a little bit of selfishness or a little bit of manipulation or, or we just hide ourselves and don't give ourselves fully to those relationships and we think we're getting away with it but they, they know what we're up to they feel we're not really there which means you create the conditions that make you feel even more insecure because these people seem to not really be accepting you because they're a little afraid of the agenda you're bringing into the relationship does this make any sense? Are you wise enough to sort of diagnose that this isn't just, these aren't just words and ideas about other people, that you have some of this going on inside you as well, I have some of this going on inside me? And that these three things that I'm involved in right now, in each case, there are people who might in their head know that they're supposed to feel worthy, but really need to feel in their hearts that they feel worthy, that they are valuable that they get to be who they are, and who they are deserves to be treated well. Who they are brings strength to the people around them. And that if they're treated badly by others, that's on them. They didn't deserve that. If you rock up in a relationship, it's to everyone else's benefit they accept you. And if they choose not to accept you, that's their loss. That doesn't reflect on you, that you have strength to add. That kind of core conviction that you are worth something. Well, we just need to keep growing in that forever, don't we? Because that's what unlocks great relationships whether at work or in church or in your most intimate relationships. And so I want to very quickly just read, this is probably not the most obvious scripture to read on the topic, but I want to read some scripture to you that sets out how Paul thinks relationships in church can work and how community can, can look if we can just overcome this idea of having to perform to prove that we're worthy. And then from there, I'll get Wayne back up here and we'll tell some stories about how we've experienced living in those kinds of communities so that this is practical. Okay, so the the passage that we're going to read out of is in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And we're going to go back to Ephesians 4 and 5 next week. Uh, This is going to be a great place to be. So in your own life, if you want to read the... Letter to the church in Ephesus, it'll just help you to, to get a sense of the argument that Paul's trying to make. Uh, he starts out desperately pleading with everyone, saying, live a life worthy of the calling that you have. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have. Uh, not only feel worth something, but recognize you've been given a call. You've been given a role to play on this earth. Live up to that. Take yourself seriously. Treat yourself as well as God treats you. See yourself as importantly as God sees you. Understand the magnificent stuff that you have to bring. And then he goes on to say this about how we treat one another from verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. In other words, when people are behaving in scary ways, when they seem selfish or arrogant or judgmental, don't do the doff thing of thinking it's about you. It's not about you. People are scary when they feel scared. There's something going on with them. There are faults or insecurities on their end causing them to make those failings, just like there are faults and insecurities on your end wanting to make it all about you. So let's bear with one another that we works in progress. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. You have so much in common. 
Even if you've not yet grabbed hold of Jesus, you're still created by the same Father. If you have grabbed hold of Jesus and allowed the Holy Spirit to start doing inside you what he was able to do inside that bitter and twisted old geezer, Keith, who ended up radically being changed at the end of his life, then you have so much in common with one another. And then this Jesus, who's done all this, has given us each a special gift through the generosity of Christ. I'm going to skip to verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Okay, so whatever follows is quite a big deal. Jesus himself has given some gifts to the church. What might these be? These are going to be glorious things, right? They're going to be awesome. We know he loves the church. What are the gifts going to be? Well, he's given some people with some gifts, with some strengths. He's given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's your destiny. That's my destiny, that I will measure up to the full standard of Christ. And I'm already treated as if that was true. I'm already given credit as if I was like Jesus. And he has given to his church people with different strengths and stuff to add to build me up to that point. And Paul finishes, I'll just skip to verse 16, by saying, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part, not some parts, not the special frozen chosen, not the holy, you know, spiritual athletes, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here's my big idea. If you're here today, then Jesus has claimed you as a gift that he has given to the rest of us. He thought you were worth purchasing, he thought you were worth forgiving, and it cost him the most exorbitant price imaginable in order to purchase you and forgive you. You're worth that much to him. But you're not just worth something to him. You're worth something to us. Because he has given us a gift, and it looks like you. He's thrown you into play. He said, you have something specific to do. You have a special role to play in this body, to help it be growing and healthy and full of love, to help the rest of us measure up to the fullness of Christ. You've been rolled in here. You're the ace that's been played. He's given you to this church. He thinks you're worth that much. Remember how Paul started? Live worthy of that. Take yourself seriously like that. If you choose to hold yourself back because for whatever reason you think you don't deserve it, you're unworthy, you, oh, well, I've still got to earn my stripes, and if they already knew, that's not humility. That's blasphemy. He thinks you're worth playing into this church like a gift. He thinks he's bought you, forgiven you, healed you, and now regardless of how much there is still for you to learn about the truth of that and heal inside, you are already given to this church like a gift. And all the rest of us need you. And when you hold yourself back, you deny us something that Jesus gave us. How dare I do that? How dare I, out of my own insecurities, hold back from community when God has put me in that community, placed me there? Not to be suspicious of them, not to be consumeristic, not to try to control them, not to bring all my stuff, my unworthiness, but to give something to them, to be used by him to strengthen them. Okay, these are big ideas. I can see, I think that you understand them. But here's, they actually need a drip, don't they, from your head into this is how I see myself. And nobody, no matter the color of his socks, standing up here shouting this stuff at you is going to make it really true. The Holy Spirit needs to get inside us and help us to see that's what makes me feel unworthy. That's what makes me feel a little insecure. That's what makes me arrive with agendas and relationships because I'm not sure I really qualify And we need to have the Holy Spirit fix that so that we can start getting the best out of you and you can start to bless us. And um, 
as with every one of you, you have a specific grace in your life that pulls things out of other people. I think this being secure thing is kind of like one of my things, without saying I am particularly secure, but it's like a red flag to a bull for me. There's a, I'm going to just geek out for a moment, but in the Lord of the Rings, right, so there's a moment, Frodo, a hobbit, if you're not sure what a hobbit is, um, JJ, who led worship, um, <laughs> um, special gift to the church, we, have, we receive him. Um, Okay, so Frodo's got himself sick because he got smote by a Nazgul, and so he's dying, you know, and, 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 and he's not going to make it to the place where he's going to get healing. And then he bumps into this elven princess. This doesn't matter. I'm making myself seem very lame. But anyway, she has this idea that there's some grace in her life that she can pass to him to help him live. And that is a theological idea. That there's some grace that you have that you can extend to someone else. There's a specific area in your life. There's some battles you've won, or there's some gifts that you have, or there's some perspectives that you've got because of the road you've walked that only you have a specific grace that you can give to other people. And so the movie misquotes the book, and she says, whatever grace is in me, let it pass to you. And it's not quite like that, but Frodo gets, he's fine. Um, and he, if you haven't seen the movie, destroys the ring in the end. So now you, don't know, you can save eight months of your life. Um, Spoiler alert. But here's the thing. Like, there's, a, there's a grace to become secure. There's a grace to recognize your worthiness. And if, with the greatest of humility, I have anything to give, I want to give that. So can you just close your eyes? Would you just humor me for a moment? Lord, we have loads of reasons to think we're broken. And we're right about them. There are loads of reasons why we're unworthy. There are loads of reasons why we shouldn't expect good treatment from this world. There are plenty of reasons why we don't measure up. And we bring those into relationships. We know we do. Holy Spirit, would you just minister to every single person in this room their great worth. Just impress upon us how valuable we are to you. That we would just know we are absolutely loved, chosen, that we cause you great joy, God. Even with all of our mess-ups, even with all of our brokenness, even with all of our sin and shame, we cause you great joy. We are able to please you By your Holy Spirit, God, would you convince us of that as your children? And would you awaken something inside us that recognizes the, the majesty, the, the specialness, the glory that we carry into every circumstance we find ourselves in, every friendship, every relationship, every community, every space we're in, that despite all the reasons why we think we may not be qualified, when we arrive in those circumstances, you have put us in play there. Help us to live worthy of the calling that we have. Help us to understand the value that we have. Make us strong, please, Jesus. Make us brave. Make us secure. Amen. Right, Wayne's going to come join me, and we're going to tell some stories about what it looks like when you get into community like this. And I mean, 
disclaimer, obviously we're trying to get you into gospel community in some form, into a life group or that sort of thing. But also these stories I think will just prove helpful for how you can do your friendships, how if you are a Christian you're called to live in community with people. Um, and Wayne's a great, uh, a great example of a person who God has planted into community. Uh, he comes from that specific subset of humanity called the hockey player. Um, and at Varsity, played a lot of hockey and drank a lot of um, fizzy pop um, and, and committed to that whole hockey playing lifestyle and then ends up in a church community, which, as you might imagine, is quite different from the hockey fraternity. So describe to us what had to change, what was strange about getting into uh, churchy vibes, bro. Yeah, so I think, I think um, if we think of the communities which we're in or the social circles we're in, sort of bras and friends and book clubs, we know they're not book clubs, but um, things like that. So I, I, what Paul didn't say is I also used to work at a bar, um, a little, like a nightclub, and we used to do cool things like wear sweatbands and have very spiky hair, even more spiky than it is now. Um, and we used to pop our collars, which was cool, you know? Um, no, 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 I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, you refer to yourself as a cyclist who wears all white. I'm like, yeah. I can't get that off my brain. So deal with the pop collar for, yeah, yeah, humor okay. me for a little bit. And uh, it was just so normal that, you know, that community, that was a normal thing to do. You know, and like in the varsity hockey circles, you know, like if a guy comes late, you would, you know, just rag him or whatever. Like, I mean, he could have had some serious issue going on, but, you know, we just take the mickey out of him and make him feel terrible um, just so that everyone else laughed at his expense. Um, and those were kind of normals from those environments and perhaps you can find yourselves in similar situations around a bra um, uh, nowadays. But uh, as soon as I got into, into a life group, so I started dating Kim and then I went to life group. Okay, um, so Kim got me there. Okay, there's gonna, a, there's gonna, a church gonna, strategy yeah. called flirt to convert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought I'd entertain it for a while, and then I end up sitting next to Paul Taylor on the stage. Uh, it's a little bit awkward. Um, but so you take what you know into those circ- into those circles, and you know I would throw the joke out of like well, the guy came late, and like no one laughed. It was like awkward. Um, and then I quickly learned, hey, like we actually don't tear people down here; we actually build them up. Um, and that was like, oh, okay, that was a bit different to what I was used to. Um, or like in, like in hockey circles, you know, we'd have a bring bra, and there's always the guy who forgets the bring part, right? Um, and then you kind of think, well, who, yes, he's not going to eat my meat because I bought this because this is what I want. But, I mean, seriously, I mean, who's ever had a bra and there's been bra meat not left over? I mean, like you can have a whole feast the following day. Um, and then, yeah, and then life group, people would bring biscuits and bring cake, and like, it wasn't even their place. And they were just bringing and wanting to give and things like that. And I think that, like, that was a just an unnormal thing from the worldly space going into sort of a life group type of context. Yeah. And there is this awesome thing that a community can set a new normal for you, that we, uh, when someone's sick, we first offer to pray for them before just giving them sympathy. When, uh, you know, that that kind of thing. That also for me was an amazing way that, that the normal was set in a really healthy way. There's also some stuff that is normal in church 
which is just ridiculous. And you sit there and you're like, what choices did I make in my life that got me to this point? I remember in a life group, we had a guy, um, because everyone's welcome, right? So everyone can turn up. And I was in a group, uh, and at some church meeting, the pastor was saying to me, like, can you get a handle on this? I was like, well, what's, I mean, I know he's a bit odd. No, 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 apparently he was standing at the back of the church where no one but the people on stage could see him, and then dropping his rods to distract the people on the stage. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's only happened a few times in Kloof, but um, I'd be like, I don't need this in my life. Like, what, this is, why is this normal? In no other part of my life would I be around these odd people. I had someone else who, no matter what we were discussing, whether it was baptism or anything, they would bring it back to the flat earth conspiracy theory. And it was like, can you just like wind your neck in? Like, we don't have to talk about this every time. Um, I don't know if you have, have those sorts of stories, but I mean, there's some stuff that's just painfully like, oh, this is, I suppose, part of the cost of it, that there's some oddballs there. Yeah, so I think, I think like we have people in our group, you know, um, and that's part of the problem, <laughs> or the blessing, whichever way you look at it. Um, but it's people doing life. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you've had it, but a couple of times, you know, you, you have an argument with your spouse before you go somewhere, okay? No matter how fast you drive, it's still waiting when you get there. Okay. It doesn't just go away. Um, and then, at t- you know, you arrive and you open the door, and for someone, they step out into another realm. So in other words, they forget it all, you know. And the other person almost steps into the cloud. So a couple of years ago, a couple arrives, and uh, they, they obviously, it's very clear what's happened. And... Um, the wife is just on another level. I mean, she could have preached to 5,000, converted them all. You know, she comes in, exu- like, just, yeah, just on another level. And the husband came in just under a complete cloud. Little Olaf, little private snowstorm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he had his own little snowstorm, kind of chilling in the corner. Um, and uh, it was very clear that there was something going on, you know. And I think what's, what's great, and it's kind of like a, a normal change um, from what we weren't used to is that outside of the church environment there was you didn't really want to tell people that you were battling or like hey I'm struggling in this area yet everyone can see you are you know but in fear that you might lose mates or this or that so this couple comes in obviously there's a problem whatever it was we kind of let it go but then I could touch base with them the following day you know and just say hey what's happening everything okay but, it's, um, it's all very well. I mean, it's awkward to turn up at some church event when you've been rotting with one another. It's very awkward to have to lead that church event when you've been fighting with your wife. <laughs> Just speaking for a friend. Um, <laughs> I'm not the friend. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, when, like, you're trying to lead this life group and your wife has made the fifth joke, which you're the butt of. And it's like clear. <laughs> okay, let's like, talk about Jesus now. Let's talk about anyone but me. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. Uh, the, the, this brings me to, I think, actually what's most powerful about these groups. It's not the healings and miracles and so on that can take place or the incredible revelations or the care and love. For me, what I love most about gospel-centered communities is that you get to live out the dare that actually your failings don't matter, that you can actually fail in a gospel community. And it's not like failing in a gospel community is 10% different from failing in normal friendships or 20%. It's a game changer. In every other part of life, you would be absolutely right to assume that your value is connected to your performance. But in this paradigm that we call the gospel, we have taken the dare that, in fact, your value is not connected to your performance. 
that your failures, that your mess-ups, that the mistakes that you've made or the things done to you, that, that has nothing to do with your identity or with who you are. And in a community, you actually get to live that out. And I don't think that automatically happens. I think plenty of Christians roll through their Christian relationships still playing by the old rules and assuming that you're supposed to hide things when you do badly and maybe there's a great Afrikaans term called feign brag, where you're like, you know, you're just, it's like subtle, but you're just dropping the, you know, it sounds almost humble, but you're just letting everyone know, you know, you know I was just really convicted the other day in my fifth quiet time of the week, that, you know, that kind of idea. Um, and and in, a, in a gospel community, in a life group, you have this opportunity to fail and totally own it and go, I have just messed up royally and I'm still just as worthy of being here, just as valuable, just as accepted by God, and I'm expecting just as much love from you guys as I was when I used to pretend to be perfect. Um, and nowhere is that more true than when you're trying to lead something in the community of God and you have the opportunity to consistently call Satan's bluff because he always wants to get you back onto those old ways of operating. Your performance links to your value. And you get to keep going, I'm called, I have something to bring, I get to be here, even though I just did that thing. I know you, like me, have had experiences of failing while leading, and that's actually one of the most glorious things that can happen. Yeah, so we, so we like, just remember that like I'm a little barman type of vibe, okay? So we take over a life group. Um, from a couple who just ran an excellent, like they were just excellence all around, um, something which, which we can try and strive for. So anyway, so we take it over and we think, okay, we've got to serve the tea at the right temperature and we've got to, you know, we've got to have the right biscuits and we've got to have uh, uh, an excellent word prepared and things like that, which obviously we try and do until I'm trying to make coffee and the coffee machine just explodes and there's coffee all over the floor. And... Uh, um, but I remember in the early days when we started, and I'd, I'd sort of prepare well and uh, get up there, smash it, I, I thought, and then lie on the pillow at night, and like, Kim's like, can we chat? And uh, like a little pep talk on exactly what I'd done wrong and who I'd offended and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, as hard as it was to hear, because, I mean, you know, you hear those those things, or oh, if you fail seven times, get up eight. Like, yes, like I subscribe to it, but it's, it's hard. Um, yet, I knew Kim loved me completely, and similarly, in a life group environment, like, everyone, you understand now that God loves us completely, so therefore, we have no choice but to love everyone else. So, when Kim was correct to me, it was obviously for my better. Okay, so, it got to the point when I prepared quite a theological uh, teaching the one uh, evening, and I preached it out, and someone kind of challenged me on my theology halfway through, and I kind of smooth-talked my way, like, yeah, okay, whatever, and subdued it, and then felt very convicted the following day on it. And I went to an elder, and I said, hey, listen, this, this is the story, and he's like, yeah, I know, you butchered it. I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so, 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 so the following, so now it was a long week until the following Tuesday, um, and what I had to do is actually put my pride on the line because uh, everyone might have just said, well, we can't follow this guy and they leave. Um, and I actually ended up having to honour the guy who I had subdued and then apologise completely. And just how everyone was just so okay with it and it almost made everyone feel like human because we all fail all the time. Um, and the thing I like about failing in the gospel space, uh, Paul, is that um, it actually means that we're growing because we're going into a space which we feel uncomfortable with. Uh, so when we fail, we're failing in a space which you actually don't. Yeah. It's a new space, which is cool. The way you react when someone fails you in church will show you a huge amount about what you actually believe about God. Because we're all probably on board with the idea of receiving grace 
in a community like this. But then we've inherited some of these ideas that, oh, but if you're going to be on the stage, or if you're going to be some kind of whatever term or hierarchy that you've in, kind of injected into this space, well, those people, you know, they should live better. And all of us, of course, are trying to be holy as our God is holy and live out the things we've called, he's called us to. And once again, next week, we'll see some other really, really good reasons to look at the way you live your life. But the truth is, when someone lets you down or makes a mistake, we have an opportunity to, once again, reinforce the gospel. You are valuable, not by your performance. There is grace for everything that goes on. Or just smuggle back in these performance ways of thinking. Uh, and that's why I think it's one of the best things that can possibly happen to a group, is when the person in some kind of position of leadership messes up or just admits to doubts or failings or freakouts, and it forces everyone to be a little offended and go, oh yes, I remember now, it's not about our performance. Uh, and that's such a hugely inspiring place to be after that. Um, okay, as we come in to land, tell us some stories, if you've got any, or just speak to us about the difference being in some kind of gospel community, whether it's a life group or a formal one or an informal one, the, the kind of the testimony of what that can actually do in someone's life. Yeah, so, I mean, I can speak about lots of testimonies of other people's lives, but, like, I'll speak to ours, and I often say to Kim, the reason we run a life group is to keep us going. <laughs> um, like, if it wasn't for the life group, like, uh, I'm not sure we'd make it through half the things we do. So I make sure we run it so that, like, yeah. we always have one, you totally know? We don't get kicked out of one, you know, <laughs> type of thing. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, life groups celebrated with us, cried with us, blessed us, prayed for us, helped us through things are helping us through things, are celebrating with us, are grieving with us currently um, uh, on it. And I think, uh, you know, the concept of, of life group is that people think when you sign up, you sign up for life. Like, it's not the case, guys. <laughs> like, um, you're signing up to do life with other people uh, or with like-minded people um, in a different space. Um, and I think, um, you know, and... I'm sorry if you've been to a life group where you've mustered up the courage and you finally got there. And as you've got there, the life group says, uh, leader says, hey, do you mind opening and prayer? <laughs> um, which is very awkward, you know. And they'll probably never, you'll probably, you'll probably never go back. So if you are a life group leader, please, please don't do that. Yeah. Like we are just trying to build them up. That's good advice. Um, but um, yeah, Paul, like, you know, one, one I can remember, you know, we were, we were going through a really tough time. Um, and uh, we were actually in, in our car in the parking lot um, of our old life group leaders. And they were praying for us, the husband on the one side and the, and the wife on the other side, in our car, like they were praying in our car. Uh, kids were sleeping in the back seats and it was just like, it's just weird, you know. Um, but there was such like a moment there which would never happen in a, in, a, in a worldly space, like other than that type of thing. And yet it was so okay and normal. Um, and when there was breakthrough in the area that, that we were in, um, we shared it with the life group and they celebrated with us. So not only did they help us when things weren't there, they were also there to celebrate with us, yeah. um, which is great. Bern and I, uh, uh, let me not assume you know the story, but we struggled for ages to fall pregnant, and then it was this miraculous pregnancy, wow, against all the odds. And then I remember that, so we lost that child. The, the pregnancy started to go pear. I remember the scan we just had when we discovered that there was a problem with this little person that uh, you know, I was already in love with and had already played 10 games of football with in my mind. And, like, and um, I remember we had a, a praise and prayer night that night. There was a worship event here. Uh, and in the same way that you say you run life group for your own sake, like, the people that turned up at that praise and prayer evening were there just for us. I don't give two hoots about them and what they needed from God in that moment. Like, we arrived. And to be honest, like if we hadn't had to be there, we, 
I probably would have preferred to go and lick my wounds at home. Um, and I'm going to be grateful for eternity <laughs> that I got to come that evening. And just be in a community of faith and people, not everyone really knew what was going on right then, but just praying for us and worshiping God. And I'm not sure, I don't think I'm strong enough. I'm fairly confident, actually, that that whole experience would have left me with the bare bones of faith left. And yet, in that evening, with everyone around, in, instead of being a, a bad moment for my walk with God, I felt loved by Him and safe in His love. There's this weird little line in Jude that you are safe in God's love. I felt like so safe in God's love in that moment that instead of being a tragedy that derailed me or made me do something dumb or get angry with anyone, it was because of community that, I, that, that became this kind of glorious testimony moment for Byrne and I. Um, and so in the same way that the community can celebrate with you and speak the truth over your life and encourage you, sometimes to have a group of people that can mourn with you but do that in a godly way without wanting to sound sort of doom and gloom about it, I see some people get into community just in time. J- just in time before that, that tough moment happens and then they have community and, it's, and it ends up being a glorious moment that strengthens them and, and that God can use. Uh, and so without, once again, wanting to make you cram for finals and, of course... Miracles take place and glorious turnarounds go on. To, to try to survive a life of faith alone just seems to me unwise. You wouldn't try and get fit by yourself. You'd pick a gym buddy. <laughs> you wouldn't try to learn a new skill by yourself. You'd pick a mentor. Why would you try to live on earth the community and culture of heaven without a community that can live out that culture around you. Um, we're, we're done. And I want to, once again, like, of course, cards on the table, we're just trying to get you into life group um, because we think that'll be best for you. But even if, for whatever reason, that's not going to happen for you right now, get two couples around you that you know or just get a mate. We're going to be producing videos over the next few months that, are, that track with the sermon series. Find a way to do more than just, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Mock one another a little bit. Talk about your kids at school. We're so good at those kinds of conversations. Um, and yet we're called to consider ourselves worthy enough that we actually deserve to be in deeper relationships than that. Consider ourselves a gift that Christ has given to those people. So stop out of some fake humility thing holding back a gift that Jesus has given to this community. And then we can expect in that space that a whole new normal unfolds. And I wonder, there may be life groups running here that have been running for two years, and everything that they've done up to this point, all the trust they've built, all the ground they've covered, was just for the sake of the person who's going to join in the next month, and who's going to end up turning this city around. Because that's how it was with the Apostle Paul. Turns up at a home church. They're terrified of him. He's insecure because he's been a rotter. And because he finds a soft landing in that community, he goes on to do all the things he's done. And so I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that you're going to find your calling, live out your calling, because of the community you end up finding yourself in.